chapter 3. 62 years ago, we saw the first showing of Cecil B. DeMille's film, The Ten Commandments. Anybody see it? Are you so... Oh. Yes, you don't need to be ashamed of... <laughs> Who did he choose to play Moses? That's right, Charlton Heston, a fine figure. Well, here we are, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. Moses is out in the wilderness and has a confrontation with God. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he'd led the flock to the far side of the mountain and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush. Moses! Moses! And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign of you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. 
You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyous assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkle blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to us now. Call us. Call us out and call us on. That we may know the burning fire of God's love in our lives. Amen. Thank you again for the really warm welcome. It's great to be with you this morning and to be part of a community that... Um, is, is always at the heart of the diocese and is always um, keen to work out with us what God is calling us all to. So thank you for the support that you give and for the example that you give to others too. So, vocation, our calling. I really believe that when God reveals himself to us, he also calls us. Not always in ways that are obvious, but in ways that show the heart of who we are and who God is. And I believe that when God reveals himself to and calls each of us at different stages of our lives, he does so in ways which always very deeply show his love. And although God's revelation can sometimes be quite difficult and challenging and maybe even self-sacrificial, I also believe that God shows us the purpose of his calling, the why, the what for, and promises to sustain us as we respond. 
Now, seeing and hearing God's call can lead us in lots of different directions. That might be to some kind of ordained or lay ministry. Um, it might be to myriad other kinds of service. And I really haven't come here this morning as a kind of churchy careers fair representative with leaflets or um, uh, people to phone up or website addresses. I've got nothing to do with that, and I don't want to persuade you into any of that. If you're interested, that's great, and someone, um, a vicar, a person you're sitting next to, the diocesan website can undoubtedly point you in the right direction. But that isn't what I want to focus on today. Being God's child and living life as a disciple is a call that belongs to every one of us. It's at the heart of being human and being in a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's what I really want us to focus on this morning, looking at the example of Moses. Um, so you might want to turn back to page um, 59 in your Bibles to Exodus 3, um, so that we can open those scriptures together and understand more through the calling of Moses what call God has on our lives. So let's look at Moses in chapter 3. Um, tending his father-in-law's flock, no pressure there then, um, and leading them beyond the wilderness to Horeb, the mountain of God. Geography always matters in the Bible, doesn't it? If Moses has gone even beyond the wilderness, I mean, what is beyond the wilderness? Even beyond that, then he's going to be far from what's known and comfortable and safe. He's also probably not going to be where the in-laws think he ought to be. Um, something is drawing him towards Horeb, we can assume, and something significant. And then there it is, the angel of the Lord appearing in a flame out of a bush, a burning fire, but somehow the bush isn't being consumed. And what follows is really the first account we have in the scriptures of an individual encountering God in all of God's glory. And from that encounter being called and changed and purposed, finding their own identity and taking this colossal step towards understanding and making known God, the great I am. I wonder what words and actions or moments stand out for you as you read Moses' experience. Now, there are four parts in the story that I want to draw out for you, and they're four points that have really helped me to understand something new about how God continues to call me. But I trust that God will speak to you too from the wisdom of the past and in the present moment as you reflect on what you're being called to and how you are caught up in the burning fire of God's love for all humanity. So four things, four things all beginning very conveniently with the letter F, which if that's not too twee, will I hope make it a bit easier to remember. If you have a more Catholic background, you might know the simple way of remembering how to cross yourself during a blessing, up, down, left and right. Or, and this only works for half of the congregation, spectacles, testicles, wallet and watch. Um, I mean, of course, the half of the congregation who wear a pocket watch. Um, but my four signs of calling are, thankfully, a bit different and they apply to all of you equally. Here they are. Feet face, freedom, and food. 
or down, up, heart and belly. I can't quite do that, stay coordinated enough, but anyway. Feet, face, freedom and food. And let's start with feet. Um, when Moses has turned aside to survey the great sight that's unfolded, he hears God calling to him. So the first point I noticed is that you have to notice what's there when God appears to you. And you have to make the physical effort to orient yourself, to turn aside in order to see properly. And then, of course, a further physical action follows if you look at the text. This time it comes in the form of two instructions from God. Do not come closer. And take off your sandals because you stand on holy ground. In other words, plant your bare feet where they're meant to be, at a distance where you can properly observe, and look and feel through your feet what you can learn from being on holy ground. It probably won't surprise you to know that in the customs of the day, taking off your sandals was a sign of respect. Um, but it's also a particular tradition that you find in some of the Babylonian texts of the time, that in the temple, people ministered barefoot. I think you should perhaps adopt it here, actually. Um, because there must be nothing interrupting um, between the ministers and the floor. So we learn something about recognizing the holiness of God, but also about not creating barriers to experiencing what's holy. Our feet show us how to be observant, to stand in the right place, to see, to show the respect that's due to God, and to be connected enough <clears throat> to notice, feel, experience through your toes the power of God which is moving around you and coursing through you. I was brought up in a really deferential culture where there was always talk, especially from my grandparents, of respect for your elders and betters. And I'm fine with part of that, with respect in general actually, especially for those with greater wisdom or experience. But the betters part has long troubled me. And it took me a long time, if, if indeed I have, to pretty much let go of what's sometimes called the imposter syndrome, which affects many of us for different reasons. The fear that we aren't good, clever, posh, educated, and perhaps also male, straight, white, enough to belong at the heart of things. This fear can affect us in lots of different ways. It can also affect how we relate to God and how, or even whether, we allow ourselves to hear God's call. Who, me? People like me don't become vicars, church wardens, junior church teachers, mission partners abroad, public speakers, leaders. It is not so with God. It really isn't. Moses, the shepherd with a borrowed flock, proves that for us when he journeys beyond the wilderness and encounters God and receives his calling to lead God's people out of Egypt and tell the world who God is. So the balance between knowing the need to take your sandals off out of respect for holy ground 
and yet needing to plant your feet in the right place, your bare feet in the right place, to watch and learn with no barriers of social or cultural expectations between you and God, that really matters. That's part of being called. So people of God, don't forget your feet. Plant them in the right place because you've got every right and reason to stand before God and prepare to learn who you really are and who God has always been. Second F, face. Moses hides his face in fear because, we learn, he's afraid to look at God. This is more than the kind of respect that you find of taking off your shoes or, in certain contexts, covering or uncovering your head. It reminds me of the accounts in the Synoptic Gospels of Jesus' own transfiguration when he sees Moses himself and Elijah, and we witness how the blinding light of God transforms even Jesus and reveals something of his divine identity. And Moses here experiences something which is both daunting and overwhelming and yet strangely rich. It can't be grasped or measured or contained or domesticated. It's inspiring, searching, humbling. I think it's meant to feel too much to bear. So what does this have to do with calling? You might be recalling your own experience of being called and being in the presence of God. I know I am when I read that passage. Um, my own moment of calling into Christian ministry, which I guess was a significant step to me on the road um, to what was eventually ordination, came when I was visiting New York City as a student, which is really quite um, scary and busy and big and overwhelming. And I stumbled into one of those really um, uh, sort of confident, prominent churches in the heart of the city. And as I felt a bit lost and as I sat there and prayed, I felt the most overwhelming sense of the presence of God, like a blinding light, like an outpouring and an overflowing of love, which actually moved me to tears. I was left all, um, all kind of churned up. Um, it's that word that um, is used about Mary when she hears the call of God. It's splagnizomai in the Greek. It's a great word. And it means that your guts are all churned up and you just feel like you kind of want it all to stop. Not because it's a bad thing, but because it's just too overwhelming. Like being on a fairground ride where you want to climb off, but it still carries on spinning. An excess of the sensation that you thought you were seeking, but is just more than you can handle. I knew at that moment that God was calling me, with all my self-doubt and my imperfection, to something that I didn't yet have the words to name. It was a glorious, but also a deeply disorientating experience. I've never felt quite the same sensation since, but I know that I've caught glimmers of that same light, which kind of jolt me out of everyday experience and make me feel that I can't quite take in everything that God's offering. Good poetry does it for me sometimes, or stunning landscape, or the smell of newborn babies, or scientific discoveries beautifully explained, or being in the presence and the peace of someone approaching death, or moments of great human altruism. 
that's just my list. I'm sure you've got your own. You're probably making it right now. Um, but what those moments had in common for me is two things. First, knowing absolutely beyond question that you are in the presence of God. And second, hearing that you are being called, called out, called on, called for something, because the reality of God existing changes absolutely everything in your life. So, feet on the ground, face hidden, Moses knows God and knows that God is calling him. He knows God and he knows that God is calling him. Now, what's all of this for? What's he being called to? So to my third F, freedom. In Exodus, the faith of the Hebrew people is closely linked with identity, with the liberation of a whole people with freedom. Freedom against oppression, freedom to worship, freedom way beyond any personal interest to be part of a believing community. Moses is called to bring the people out of Egypt and to worship God, knowing who they are and knowing who God is. When we're called to think about, um, when we think about being called by God, it's important to keep freedom as the focus. We're not, any of us, called to a job in the church. We're not even necessarily called to do anything in the church. But the call of God is what frees us to live as signs of the kingdom through lives of justice, truth, and peace. I guess that you know what it feels like when something in you stirs that points to what's good and liberating. You know that it's of God because it's not about your own self-interest. Instead, it's something that takes you deeper into the common good. Thinking back, you might find that that was reflected in your choice of career, or perhaps a decision you made to adopt or foster a child after seeing those posters that kind of nag you with the question, could you do something? It might be what's led you to be a school governor, um, or to just try to help with education in the community for everyone. It might be what's got you into politics um, of any color or flavor. It might not yet be known to you, and still only be a kind of still, small voice which keeps niggling at you and asking, what is it that you are called to? I was in the National Portrait Gallery recently. I went to that really lovely exhibition about the women's um, suffrage um, heroes and heroines. And I went to pay homage to one of my favorite pictures, to one of my dearest role models. Josephine Butler was a social reformer in the 19th century, campaigning for women's suffrage, for an end to child prostitution, and against human trafficking. She looks kind of demure in her portrait, and she was very respectable, married to an Anglican clergyman even. Um, but behind that serene face was a determined, energetic, and focused campaigner, who, because of her faith, believed that she should work for others to be free. And standing in front of her portrait a few weeks ago, I was reminded again that the church's task is not to be churchy or to convince others to come and join us in being churchy. The Church of England's calling, Christian's calling, our calling 
is actually about liberation. Because we know who God is, we know that all humanity matters, and therefore we know that freedom is our calling. So as you think about your calling, remember Moses, and maybe remember Josephine Butler, or one of your heroes. What are you being called for? Fourth and final F, food. It's good to end with the food one. Um, God promises the Israelites that they will be brought up out of their enslavement into a land flowing with milk and honey. And I think we can understand that provision about being about God's blessings, plenty, fertility, um, abundance in the land that the Israelites want to know again as home. Food here is the stuff of freedom and also of homecoming. I also think that it's a sign that God is keeping his promise. When we follow God's call, God will reward us and God will sustain us in good ways on the journey that lies ahead. It isn't meant to be all gloom and misery. And I guess you know that yourselves, um, that the life of faith can be a joyful and a plentiful life, even if there are trials and tribulations. We can still always feast together, drawing in good and diverse companions on the way, eating round a common table, and thanking God for all that has been and all that's still to come. So as you consider your own call, I want to remind you that God's blessings are abundant and that God is faithful. Sacrifice might be part of what you're called to, but joy is most certainly part of who God is and therefore who you are too. So food, look for it, expect it, enjoy it, and share it with others. As I said earlier, I'm not here to do the careers fair routine. Vocation isn't just a day job, and your own callings might already have or may in the future take you to diverse and um, unknown places. Vocation is knowing who God is and therefore for who we are. We meet God in the holy places when we hear God speaking. We meet God in the holy places which point us to heaven, where we fully know God and where we're fully known. In the words then of the letter to the Hebrews, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And the letter continues, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks, by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. Let's continue to worship together in response to the many gifts that God has given us, knowing that whatever we're called to, we have that kingdom which cannot be shaken. Amen.